There is a war between the rich and poor, a war between the man and the woman. There is a war between the ones who say there is a war and the ones who say that there isn't. Why don't you come on back to the war? That's right, get in it. Why don't you come on back to the war? It's just beginning. Welcome everybody to another production from the Institute for the Radical Imagination. This is another episode, the fourth episode of Prosperity Marxism with Michael Pelius and my co-host Peter Bratzis uh, sitting to my left. Anyway, tonight we're going to engage um, two basic topics. Uh, first of all, uh, is there a left or is there a right? Uh, we're going to try to address that question through what would constitute radical resistance at this point um, and try to engage some of the issues that presented themselves in the news or the events that presented themselves this week in the news, including the demonstration of militia strength from a bunch of right-wingers in in Virginia and what that may mean to the left. Uh, we're also going to talk about the, um, um, alongside that, uh, the question of uh, what, what is socialism, what does that actually mean, uh, which could be an ongoing topic as we go forward. But tonight we want to talk about socialism and some of the myths that are abound in, uh, in contemporary discourse. And then finally, we're going to look at the elections um, coming up, the primaries, and uh, speak about uh, electoral politics and what's the best we could really hope for if we really were going to work within this system. And we're going to use the notion of revolutionary reforms that were theorized by a man named André Gortz, uh, a famous French-German uh, uh, theorist of the uh, 1960s, 70s, and 80s who recently uh, passed away. So, uh, welcome, welcome, it's been, Peter. It's been some years. Yeah, yeah, it's been some years, yes, exactly. Welcome, Peter. So, last week we, we had um, this um, demonstration of, um, you know, malicious strength, if you will, in Virginia. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about, um, you know, you and I in private, and it's been part of an ongoing discussion. Why is the left, if there is such a left, not armed or you know, demonstrating that there is power in somewhat in the, the old slogan, the ballot and the bullets, right? Because we're really playing on a theme of Malcolm X, which is I, I recommend highly to our uh, listeners to listen to Malcolm X's great speech, the ballot or the bullet. So, yeah, maybe you can take it up from there, you know, looking back at the week event and then speaking to, is there really a left or a right at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a, a fundamental paradox to all the gun rights discourse uh, in that the, the Second Amendment and the, the idea uh, behind the Second Amendment was not simply that people should be armed. And that was certainly true. It was also that the state should be unarmed. So the idea was that in order to uh, 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 not have a situation where you had a professional military or paid uh, uh, people working for the state who are heavily armed and could oppress the population, the people themselves would be the military apparatus of the state. So you had popular militias that in a time of need would take up arms. Mm -hmm. So for example, in 1800, the United States only had 
something like 800 members of the military. Right. They had no standing military, and certainly they didn't really have much of a standing military until the 20th century. Maybe right. eventually it was more than 800, obviously, but it wasn't of any great consequence. So, if the motivation is a genuine political one, that people want to preempt the state from being able to oppress them through coercive means, then you would not just be that we, we want the right to have arms, and it wouldn't just be, of course, uh, rifles and pistols. It would have to be bazookas, anti-aircraft you right. know, missiles, right. Right. and that you would define and de deprofessionalize the military. Right. You, would, you would get rid right. of that. Right. So that obviously is, not only it's not fair, the right. same people usually right. who are in favor of the Second Amendment are also in favor of, of the military and the professionalized military, heavily armed, professionalized military. Right. So now that can't be an oversight. I think it's right. a fundamentally different motivation that underpins it. And it's one, of course, of fear and anxiety. Right. And it's also one, I think, of, uh, of, of fear of castration. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be Freud sometimes right. to read, right. to read right. the, you know, the symbolism of what's going on. Right. People want to take away our guns and we're protecting right. them. Right, exactly. You know, it's the fear of castration right. that, that I yeah, think... Yeah, the phallic order really, yes, must be really, really established. It really yeah. underpins yeah. the energy behind this, much more than any kind of democratic yeah. ethos yeah. that people are trying to reclaim some kind of democratic... If that so, were true, they would also be getting so, the military. So at one level, going back to the beginning of the 19th century, Jeffersonian democracy was somewhat premised on a kind of people's militia, which would serve as a check against a kind of state militarization yes. and state that's terror. Right. And that's kind of like the fundamental political thrust you know, that we, and it's, we and go it's, back to. And it's an idea say, that yeah, goes right. all the way back to, to ancient Athens. Right, of course. Don't forget that it was, that only the citizens right. in, a, in, 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 a, 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 the, in the ancient democratic order, right. only citizens could be members of the military. And only citizens could be military officers. Right. Conversely, police could only be slaves. Right. No citizen could be a member of the police because that would negate the principle of equality. Right. Interesting. However, when it came to the military, each citizen, because then not, not only it precludes the state from being able to use some kind of course apparatus to uh, overcome the population, it means also that people will be thoughtful in making decisions about war, for example. Right. Because when it's them that have to go fight, it's a very different calculation maybe that when it's a paid, a pay, you know, a paid uh, uh, mercenaries or slaves who might do the fighting or someone else. Right, so right. it's a very, very good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also see this in Machiavelli too. Not only right. well, at the beginning of the birth of the modern nation state, as well as the Athenian democracy too. Yeah, yeah. from Machiavelli, it was the, the, the citizen citizen army. Well, I mean, you know. Right. Is a much more reliable and dependable because right. they're not doing it right. for the money. Right, exactly. People who do it for the money can be very easily co-opted. Yeah. Pay them a bit more, you know, they can. And, and going back to the notion of the police as slaves, I mean, we basically see a police force that is slaves to the property interests and, you know, basically work for the state in the name of things that are somewhat in contrary to their own interests, <laughs> in, in a sense. Right? Well, no, because they, 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 they get paid. Yeah, it gets so paid. It's no, paid wage, wage and, and labor, the, the of problem, course. Yes. But at the same time, ideologically, they're not really on 
the moment of, of being liberated or, you know, getting to the full citizenship uh, role. But you know right? what, I mean, in a sense, you don't want the police to No, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. I mean, imagine yeah. you had people who were uh, uh, inferior right. in the political sense as the police. Right. That you as a citizen look down on the police in a sense. Right. Or at least they're considered to be not as as equal in a way, you know, or not as 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 uh, mm -hmm. the same level as the citizens. It's a different, you know. First of all, yeah. they're going to be much more respectful towards you. Right. We had I forget what panel we had some panels some years ago, and we we had uh, I, I don't I remember if you were on the panel then or not, but I had rec I had brought this up as a solution to the problem of policing in the United States, for example, to go back to the classical example. Not that we're going to create slaves, but you could have, for example, say you can't be a citizen be a police. You have guest workers. New York could have an exchange with Japan, for example, and people who want to be police in New York could go to Japan, and the right. Japanese could come here, right. and you know it would be they're a bit fish out of water. They'd be more respectful right. to the locals. They won't have the local. Maybe, maybe you're on to solving the immigration problem now. Maybe well, that's what we. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, the problem yeah. would be yeah. who would want to take the who would want to take, want to take the NYPD right. people or right. the Baltimore police exactly. or the Detroit police. Exactly. That's the problem. Yeah. But. yeah, going back to this castration, it seems to me that the people that are out there are people that have, um, you know, really reacted to first of all having obviously uh, at one level the race question of having a black president for eight years. This is you know, been a lot of pent-up aggression that's going on, as well as people that really feel that the government has left them behind, right? Yes. But at the same time, they're trying to defend an earlier version of private property and property interests. So the question is, is there really, I mean, where we started today, is there a right or is there a left? And as we know, our friend Stanley Aronowitz has, has said, there is no left, there are some leftists, but there is no such thing as a left. And maybe the, the same States. thing in the United, United States. States. And there may be the same thing about there's a there's a right, right? Well, there a might right, be more of a right than more the left. More of a right than the left. But, Stanley, but Stanley meant rights. it in yeah. the sense yeah. that right. there wasn't a cohesive organization. Organization, right. We don't have a party organization. Right. We don't have an educational apparatus, etc. Yes. Right, right. And I think that's yeah. still true. Party in the you sense know, of Gramsci. Groups like the DSA right. aside. Yes. You know, I think that Stanley's argument right. still holds. Uh, but another question is, you know, what would what would qualify an organization as a left organization? And here we get into some of these questions about revolutionary reforms and so forth. Right. The way I see it, the liberal political ethic is one of the protection of rights, right? Private property, life, liberty. These are. So the fundamental liberal motivation politically is one for security and safety. To the degree that whoever it may be, you know, Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump or anyone else, their arguments are about how we can best achieve the security of life, liberty, and property. I think we are still in the domain of liberalism, of liberal politics, broadly speaking. Now, if we talk about a desire for a radical break with the present, which means maybe you sacrifice liberty, property, you know, these things are uh, uh, in danger, you know, you put them in danger, or you qualify them, or you limit them, 
unless you get into those discussions, and I think we're still in the realm of liberalism. Right. Well, the interesting thing about liberty is that the freedom has become really to mean freedom to have a car for mobility, yeah. freedom to travel, freedom to consume, and the freedom to own a house is slowly dissipating because a lot of people can't afford the down payment, even though the mortgage rates are very low right now. So the old American dream has dissipated too. So these freedoms, these protections of freedoms, are really about a consumerist society and basically a society that has mobility. Right, the ability to go to Florida for the summer to Disneyland. Well, that I think that's this a separate a, matter. Yeah. Okay. You know, maybe, I mean, maybe as, as in I'm the theoretical sure. field, but it plays out for most of the you know the, the the class of people that do vote in some way. They don't want those freedoms taken. That that that's the freedom to be able yeah. to right. dispose of your wealth as you yes absolutely as you disposable income yes. etc. Right. 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 Those are the real right. rights. That's been true. For 250 years. Yes, exactly. You yeah, know, yeah. It's nothing new. Right. It's nothing new. Right. Uh, what's new is that... Well, it's a mass culture now. That's what's yeah. new. It's a mass culture. It's a very different kind of mass massification of that cultural moment of consumerism. It, I mean, it might be in yeah. some yeah. sense more uh, 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 less limited by mm -hmm. other qualifications. So, for most of the history of the United States, I mean, you have had arguments by many, Alex de Tocqueville being maybe one of the more famous, but by others, that you never really had any tradition in the United States other than liberalism. Right. You know, exactly. There was never a conservative tradition in American politics, the way you had, of course, in, in Europe and, and other places, and never really a radical tradition. We could, you know, I mean, that was after Tocqueville, obviously, but we could say there was never really a radical uh, uh, tradition in any sustained sense uh, until the latter, uh, 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 the latter part of the of the industrial age, maybe the nineteenth century, and then through the nineteen thirties, definitely, and, so and then but a, again, in of, a very in a very yeah. partial. Way. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, um, never, never is a, so a really. So it, it has really been the only game in town for a long time. Right. What maybe changes is that it's less. Uh, 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 limited than it was before. So there were certain limits. Right. So people believed in this radical liberalism, but at the same time, they understood that in a time of war, you might have to sacrifice yourself for the good of the, the country. And they did. People mm -hmm. went willingly or they joined up. That kind of patriotic fervor was not unusual. Mm -hmm. And people said, okay, individual self-interests and freedoms are the most paramount value. However, in the same breath, we say, okay, but also the highest value is to be, uh, to sacrifice for the common good. Now, these were contradictions, you know, and it's always been one of the contradictions of liberalism that on the one hand, you profess the primacy of the individual, and on the other hand, you profess the primacy of the national community. Or yeah. the On your uh, notion of sacrifice, one thing that really changed radically was the professionalization of the military, that the yes. draft was eliminated, which was a, a stroke of genius by the, you know, Nixon. the Nixon, yeah. uh, you know, moment, right, sure. in, a, in a way. You basically have a professionalized militarization, both of the military, you know, of the military, well, that's why the Athenians were and then militarization. To have right. done it exactly. we see the results. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine if people had to actually serve, if people were drafted today. <laughs> I guarantee you there would not have, be a war in Afghanistan for 
19 years or whatever. That's correct. Now, more more, more the rumblings yeah. in Iran. And First, the yes, they, it the would have been much yes. more uh, exactly. quick or much more exactly. measured. Exactly. Well, I guess we go back to the question then of uh, what, what constitutes a radical resistance today? I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, um, uh, should the left be armed? Should the left to be prepared? I mean, or should leftists be prepared? What form would resistance take? I mean, we're giving one aspect of the resistance through revolutionary reforms, which are going to take place within the system, but what would take place in terms of a demonstration of strength to be taken seriously? You know, at this point, I mean, you know, uh, um, you know, or that there is some power back there. As we know, historically, the Black Panther organization, because there were arms, right, and some of the more militant black organizations, were basically, you know, infiltrated and, and defeated both from within and from without by the government because they posed a real threat. Other than that, do they really care about the American Civil Liberties Union or, you know, these other organizations you know, going forward. And, you know, when you look at what happened with ACORN, you know, as a homeless organization, and, That's right. you know, they were not, yeah, they were, not, they still, were not even armed. But you go in and get this, you know, this kind of, you know, left humanist kind of organizations that don't, don't have arms. So in both cases defeated, but especially something like the Black Panther. So the question, at least to my mind, is how do we ultimately, you know, begin a serious discussion and also a practice that actually really does change things. You know, we've had this uh, long co conversation about reform versus revolution for a long time. And should we be in a position of risking against <laughs> the odds, right? <laughs> Some kind of, you know, armed in the, in the notion of self-defense resistance to the, uh, to the, uh, to the moment. Or are we not in a position to do that at this point, given the tendency of the police state? Well, I would say tactically. Yeah. It's, tactically not. Yes, it's yes. probably not. Tactically as far not. As of course, of course. Yes, yes. because yeah. the the state is, as we right. said before, extremely well armed, mm -hmm. and even the, these uh, right wing militias, right. you know, right. that they have some, you know, rifles. And right. What's that going to do against the tanks and the helicopters? Yes, exactly. You know, I mean, you know, exactly. You can. Right. Cause some trouble, well, we saw but it's not it's yeah. not serious as some yeah. kind of a, a of a military right. threat right. to the United States exactly. uh, government. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's a kind of fantasy they're playing out right. in a way, of you know, of pretending not to be castrated, right. pretending to have power in right. a context where they're radically impotent. Right. There's nothing in their lives really they have much control over. Right. What do you get to decide on? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, you can decide on the toilet paper. You want ridges, or you know, yeah. you want aloe yeah, yeah. vera, or this. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, beyond that, yeah. the where you live. Types of soap. Yes, of toothpaste, Where you get a job. All these things uh, yeah, are yeah, yeah really controlled from the outside. Yeah. So I think it's 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 not a serious political. Uh, right. Uh, so the war of maneuver in the Gramscian sense is an impossibility. No, it's a kind right? of theater. Tactically, it's, it's a just a theater. theater, and it's a kind of thing we make movies about, you know, in, in terms of the yeah. next generation, maybe, or something like that. Who knows? Who but knows? I think, right. yes, it's true, of course, some people take the guns and they wind up killing. Yes, all this, of course, is true, and right. it's a horrible right. thing, right. but I don't think it's a serious... Right. Uh, 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 Absolutely. Uh, tact, if, military, you know, coercive... Uh, threat to uh, okay. uh, the, the American political order. Well, let's go to the rhetorical or order then, in a sense that you know these revolutionary reforms. I mean, we're up, we're coming up to an election, 
we're going to have the primaries underway. Um, you know, uh, obviously the people at uh, the Institute for Radical Imagination see Bernie Sanders as a very baby step, <laughs> maybe in the yeah. right direction. It opens up a, a new kind of discourse. Maybe we change the language a little bit. Uh, at the same time, what would these revolutionary reforms look like and what are the possibilities for them? I mean, to me, I, I target three areas. One, of course, is health care because of the right to health is, is a right, right? To decent health care is a right. I think also free education should be in the mix, mm -hmm. you know, the, and uh, of course guaranteed income. These are three basic areas and then of course they're, they're con considering a, a, um, uh, a Green New Deal, which in my opinion is a, another kind of fantasy but could be worked out in terms of some kind of reduction of the carbon emissions, uh, you know, greenhouse effect that we're experiencing now. So these seem to be the areas where we can focus upon. And then the question really is, other than Sanders, is there any candidate out there that would even promote such an agenda, you know, at this point? Because we've seen... Well, no, we yeah, see yeah, that yeah, some yeah, of the candidates yeah, yeah. support some of the policies right. that Sanders supports and would be a kind of... Uh, of I mean, obviously they're all reformists. We're not talking, right, no right, one is talking course, about right, right. any kind of Fundamental structural change. transformation yeah, yeah, yeah. of American political institutions mm -hmm. or anything else. No one is talking about that, right. which, is, which, is, which is a problem, of course, in itself. Yes. But uh, what would be, I think, today a kind of re revolutionary reform, potentially? Eliminating debt, educational debt. Right. It's not simply the idea that... Uh, education is a is a is a good that everyone should have the benefit of, and everyone should go to university and have a university education. That's that's important, obviously. Right. But also the fact that you should do so and not be saddled with debt, because the debt, you know, in some of the seminars we've done, yes, we've discussed as one of these sources of servitude and servility in in the contemporary Absolutely. era. Right. That because people are in debt, it really changes how they think, how they calculate. You know, I, I just read uh, 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 on the internet today an article where the author was saying, even if you have enough money to pay for your kid's education, you should still make them take out a loan. Because if they are it, it become, go in debt to pay for school, they will make different kinds of calculations. They will choose more wisely what they study. They're not going to start they're not going to study art history. Because now if they know they're going to graduate and they're going to owe $60,000, and they see the job prospect, it will, they'll be much more prudent in terms of their choices. Right, right. So that's what's going on, obviously. Yes, of course. It's yeah. not just that you owe money, but by owing money, you become much more, uh, less, less, more, much more risk adverse. Yes. Uh, uh, much more servile in that sense, when it comes to... Uh, well, you're, you're ironically thrown into the position of education for social reproduction right. of the system as it is. So I think yeah. that that is a, what we could say, a revolutionary reform. Right. Eliminating the need for wage labor. Today, it was in the news, they dug up something Bernie said from the 1970s that equated wage labor with slavery. Which is, of course, as we know, well, is a very elementary uh, principle, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. As a and of course, <laughs> you know, the way in the media today was, you know, Bernie Sanders is downplaying slavery by equating it to wage labor. 
<coughs> but we understand that to be dependent upon the, these employers, you know, because if the employer fires you, it's no, it's not a by, by lack of thinking that Max Weber considers the market as an arena of coercion. It's not an arena of legitimate action. No, of course. It's an arena of coercion. Of because in, a, in effect, you're being threatened by starvation, homelessness, and so right. forth. Absolutely. You get fired, the consequences can be catastrophic. Right. So that is, a, that is a really coercive process. Now, if you eliminate that threat, if you have a guaranteed income, Yes, that's another revolutionary reform. The left is yeah. too quick to discount the merits of a guaranteed income. They say, well, the libertarians are in, in favor of it, and it might, you know, it might shortchange some people who are now in public benefits mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. forth. All that might be true. Mm -hmm. All that might be true. However, as 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 a as the you know as a the liberating someone from the labor market in and of itself is a great. Absolutely, is, is, is and, a, a, and a connection is made between the elimination of student debt or right. education and debt and guaranteed income. People start making choices, maybe to study art history instead, right. of, of instead of studying, of you know, for of business uh, marketing or whatever the latest uh, trend is. Uh, absolutely. So we have that going on too. And then, of course, the third revolutionary reform would be the health care for all that, you know, has been put out there, and really the Sanders campaign, and we're not really advertising for him, but it makes sense that Medicare for All is a cost-effective and much more efficient way of running a healthcare system. You know, well, you basically save not only costs, because you're eliminating some of the insurance companies, you know, in terms of the extra, you know, right. profits that go to them, you know, by making the state responsible for you know, the health care of its uh, citizens. I think it's a foregone conclusion. Yes. Because right. simply the existing system is too right. inefficient and ineffective. Mm -hmm. You know, you have about 20% of GDP being spent, where most countries don't spend more than 12 or 13% at the most. And are healthier. And, 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 and covers Same everyone. thing with education. Yeah, well, <laughs> in terms of the amount of money spent. It might not just be the, health, the, the medical yes, system right. that makes... Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. the Americans less healthy. Yeah, so this is this is something that uh, you know the three interwoven: the student debt, the guaranteed income, and the health care for all. I think the health care for all is the least uh, uh, revolutionary, revolutionary of, of, the, right, of right. the three. It's a very basic, but is the one that uh, you would imagine a, 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 a capital itself would be most in favor of, because yes. you know if you're an employer, the health care is now much more than the past, but well, is a huge problem well, and one, is a huge One problem. of the reasons the Japanese and German car industries were able to produce cars at the same price, but better cars. You know, the workers are already right. taken care of by the state. That's right. GM and Ford had to take on the health care of its employees. Half the union right. negotiations it's are usually devoted to health care. On the one, hand, on the one yeah. hand, it's a useful tool in right. eliminating People leaving, yes, because if they leave, they want to use their health care benefits, right. and they're much less likely to leave. On the other hand, however, it you know that's real money. Right, it's real money that goes into that. Well, it also sets up the possibility of people, you know, uh, escaping a kind of servitude to the employer too, because a lot of people stay in their job because of their health care benefits. Yes, that's, what, yes. that's another that's right. thing they that's do. Right. At least have that escape, that's you know, right. or freedom to escape because your health care, or that the guaranteed income is there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. And I so, have seen yeah. many people in public benefits 
that could work and wanted to work, but they couldn't because they would lose their Medicaid benefits, right? Or just yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, this goes without that's saying. Right. Whereas if you had a guaranteed income and you had right. a national right. healthcare system, those would be non-issues and people would be free if they wanted to have some kind of employment to have some So in some ways we're speaking to a, a different kind of, a new concept of, of prosperity too, that people That's will right. have this kind of prosperity, you That's know, right. uh, get, you know, sort of guaranteed by, by the, by the state. In terms of some of these, well, that, I mean, but, but, but that, again, reforms. that's part of the problem. Yes, Luke Nolan, if I mean, and, and right. Francis Fox Pivens yeah. and Richard Clower's book, Regularly on the Poor, right. the argument is there that you know, in, in in a way, the the benefits are so meager as to encourage under the table, right. illegal, you know, Absolutely. tenuous, because again, the workers will be first of all, they work for a lot less, and they'll be much more docile than were they not being working under the table right. or in danger of losing their benefits or, or right. you know. That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, going which, back to, yeah, go which ahead. Which is also, of course, yeah. you know, part of this question on immigration. Yeah. It's not that, the, you know, that the United States is, is uh, against uh, uh, foreigners coming yeah, here to work. Exactly. But, you know, they, they like it when, they, when they're without, without uh, papers because they work for much less. They can be. You know the acronym in New Orleans, FEMA, right? Find every yeah. Mexican available. So, what, you know, instead of federal emergency management. So, so in that sense, Trump is right. right. A real, a real immigration reform is needed. Yes. There's no question yes, about absolutely. that. Yes, absolutely. There's yeah. no question yeah. about that. Yeah. That that part is not, not really taken up. Trump with yeah. these, yeah. you know, with the. Uh, uh, th this crazy thing about separating the families and, and having right. these camps, right. Right. you know, these concentration camps for, for people, but also the already existing system is a horrible system as well. Right. You know, because in effect it traps people into working here without having legal rights and legal protections, right. and they have, and they'll, they'll end up being hyper exploited and all the rest. Yeah. So yeah. Let's go to the uh, the Green New Deal for a second too, because this is going to be part of the I think the conversation for the next uh, two three years. You know, in Davos now we have Kristen Lagarde of the uh, of the uh, European Central Banks and the IMF is now speaking about we've got to address climate change and all of this. I mean, the the question of the Green New Deal to me is first of all, it's a policy. It's not especially socialist or, you know, right. certainly not really radical. It's a, it's a Keynesian policy at best, right, in many ways. And it seems to me that there's not really a jobs program that's really creative that's associated with it. What are you going to do if you're going to destroy or cut back on the fossil fuel industry, do in terms of making people transition to well, new kinds is, of jobs? This is There's not a public transportation system being talked about, a new high-speed railroad, railroad. We see the New York subway system, for example, they can't even get that together here in a municipal Palatine, and much the head was fired today. I saw was that, today. Mr. The Train Daddy. Yeah, yes. they call him. Not <laughs> Il Duce, but the Train Daddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fired today. So we have this this issue now about the New Green Deal. Uh, to my mind, this is again going back to what you said earlier: the the uh, the liberal imagination at work because the liberal and the neoliberal imagination is thinking: how are we going to codify this and make it? into a monetized, monetized 
new commodity, you know, futures market. How are we going to deal with carbon futures? How are we going to, you know, check industry, et cetera, et cetera? So what's really happening here in, in connection with the ideology of it's a good movement, it's going to be clean energy and renewable energy and all of this, is an entirely new set of exchange, you know, monetary exchanges, you know, yes. that are going to create a whole new derivatives market that are going to line the pockets of Wall Street and the international, you know, uh, finance capital. Right. Yeah. So this is this is a problem too. That yeah, but doesn't that's not seem the only problem. The no, no, no. Problem no. Is yeah, yeah. That on the flip side yeah. is that the idea that will give you jobs. Right. And Bernie's one of the you know one of the things that I disagree with right. with right. Bernie Sanders right. and that tendency is this idea of having public you know uh, 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 the right to a job, whereas obviously we are on the other side. Yes. We're for the right not to have a job. Exactly. Rather than the right to right. have a job. Yeah, absolutely. That we think people work, there's too much work and too much of a glorification of work, absolutely. you know, as opposed to uh, the glorification of autonomy or creativity or the imagination. Of yeah, I mean, uh, so absolutely. in this sense, Bernie Sanders falls into that same worker's trap of the glorification of work, which is, a, again, a bourgeois. Of course. The work somehow, somehow is, it gives you dignity. Of course. And it gives you self-worth. Of course. Right? And this is a, a thing that's indoctrinated from Luther to the present. Yes. The whole Protestant that's Reformation right. and that idea. So that, that that's, a, that's the anti-revolutionary. It, it has nothing to do with prosperity or, you know, an Epicurean Marxism. The antithesis. Yes, the antithesis. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Good. And if people want to work, that's why after the revolution we'll have the... Right. the lifelong learning camps to the, you know, right. Right. to help them out of that right. trap. But the lifelong learning, unfortunately, this is what's going on in the capitalist economy. Have the you have to go back. We have the to have the opposite. Learning to not, right. be, yes. not to be uh, yes, yes. employed, right? right. Exactly. Not to desire employment in, in a way. Yeah. Good, good. All right. So, um, yeah. Life learning I mean, become less employable, yeah. not more employable. Wouldn't it be the opposite? This question, I mean, you know, t to my mind, and you, you and I have been through this in a, in a, uh, uh, a many multifaceted way for the last, uh, you know, at least 10 years, 15 years in a sense. Uh, why there is no left is really, at, at my level, at my way of thinking and base, is really the anti intellectualism on the left, right, in the sense that the left will not sit down and really deal with ideas, right? It seems to be the latest, they'll pick up on the latest trend, the latest politically correct moment, but really to build an educational apparatus is the last thing on the, on the left's mind, you know, in, in, in a sense, or leftist mind. That might so be part here. of it, yeah, you know, yeah, but I again, think. again, that's nothing, <coughs> in the context of the United States, that's nothing new. The right. intellectualism is yeah. very deep and, and has a very long history in the United States. I think there's also a, uh, 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 as you say, a fear, a fear of freedom. Right, absolutely. People don't want to have autonomy. No, they don't. They don't want to be, you know, in, in charge in a sense right. or participate. They want to be left alone. They want to have comfort and security. And even the challenge, the, the left challenge. Anxiety of free. Which, of Please which, don't give me anxiety. Of which, yeah. you know, I am completely supportive of. I think yes. people should have, good, you know, uh, good housing and uh, uh, good good pensions and all the rest. I'm not against it, but I'm saying that is not antithetical to the liberal tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, if your problem is that the police are 
brutalize people and they kill too many people, I'm completely in agreement. Yes, you know, it should happen. But that's not a that's not a radical no, no moment. No, that's, that's a reaction. A it's a reaction to the system. It's not really thinking beyond yeah. where we are in the system. And then the question is, well, if people have those safeguards, those securities, right. do they want more? And I think in most cases in the United States, people don't. People don't. They want to be comfortable uh, uh, in their servility, as opposed to uncomfortable and free. Free to be put in a cage in the suburbs, huh? Well, yeah, that's yeah, I mean, yes. you know, to play on an old song, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. right. Anyway. Randy right. Newman. Randy Newman, yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm just substituting the entire culture for what he was saying. Yeah, yeah so people yeah, want yeah, that. They want yeah. security and safety and their pensions. Now, at least that's how I read it from, you know. Well, I, I think this is a principle that we see as early as 1784 in Kant's great document, What is yes, Enlightenment, that's right. that people are really afraid, afraid of their autonomy, that's really right. afraid of freedom, and that for freedom to pe speak publicly and engage in public discourse, to create the public space, has been, you know, dominant for a very long time, a very long time, you know, yeah. I mean, for example, just to give you the level of the servility, at LIU Brooklyn, a very popular and a very dedicated and hardworking person who was head of galleries, did very good work on art history, gave ex very popular seminars, was fired. A person that was on an embracive contract, which means you were both, both able to be an administrator, paid as an administrator, but you had teaching responsibilities. So they were not on a cold union tenure track job. Right. So they were fired. So yes. there was no reaction except it's so sad from the faculty. You know, back in the day, if you have really a, a culture of enlightenment or a culture that people are really talking about freedom, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to hit the streets and you're going to well, revolt again. Not even a culture, yeah. a, 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 a notion right. that they are in the same boat. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, one of the books, when I teach American politics, uh -huh. I usually assign uh, our good friend Daniel Kakasa's book. Oh, yeah. That's what I do my yeah, yeah, I do my right, right. The Doctrine of Revolutionary Union Movement and otherwise. Mm -hmm. And the beginning, of course, is a wildcat strike they have. Right. In 1967, in the Dodge Bean plant, because one worker got fired for reasons that they thought were unjust. <coughs> exactly. And you had a wildcat strike of thousands. It was seven or 8,000 workers in the Dodge walking out, closed down the factory to give that one person their job back. I remember. Now that wasn't because they were reading <coughs> Kant. No, I, that absolutely. Because, yes. <laughs> I mean, I know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kant so, didn't really resonate in Detroit in no. certain circles. And luckily so. Yeah, they maybe were, say, yes. were reading Du Bois <laughs> and, uh, and uh, Frederick Douglass yeah. instead. Right. <laughs> but people under, you know, right. like people had a sense of solidarity. Absolutely. And, a sense and that's what's of, been completely lost and so. why we can say that the radical resistance or why there is no resistance at this point is because of that lack of solidarity and that lack of understanding I could be in that boat too or I am part they of are it. They, yeah, yeah, they the are in that boat. Yeah, yeah they're absolutely. They're in the same boat. Shipwrecked the same way, right? They're in the so, same boat. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I think this is, yeah, again, you know, this is certainly a fundamental limitation. The fact that there is no organized left right. and that there is very little of a, of a left uh, desire Right. You know, presently, you know, people want to have. There's a desire for jobs. There's a desire for health care. Right. There's a desire for access to education. There's little desire for education as such. 
Well, it's very little desire to really uh, work out curriculums, no. as we know how well, difficult that is. No one discusses the access. No, no one, everyone discusses the access and the money. Who discusses the quality and the content of the Absolutely, education. yeah. The political, the political uh, uh, implications care. of the syllabus. Yeah. And they what care. the program's about. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't care. So in some ways, we're left with, uh, you know, a very small group of people who are really thinking through resistance at this point. You know, how do you resist? And is the great refusal enough? Yes and no, right? We have to go beyond the Marcusa moment of the great refusal. We have to go beyond, you know, some of these things that are happening today. You know, and this we're is maybe a years from that moment. Yes, I know. When Marcusa posited... The you know I mean the, well, the, the great problem, refusal the was posited in the sixties yeah that yeah problematic. but the problematic was you know okay. it, it, it was it was I think it's the last chapter of One Dimensional Man it's both of the last chapter of One Dimensional Man and then revisited in the political preface to Eros and Civilization okay yes yeah but the political fight is about yeah because Eros. that comes at the end of what is you know on one level of course a very pessimistic text right. One dimensional man is not an optimistic no, agree. about revolutionary potentialities. Agree. So 1964. Course, yes. Too. Yeah. Correctly so. I, yeah. I you know. Right. Obviously. But the question then well, well if the if the system is so deeply entrenched. Right. You know, if capitalism has become so totalizing in its control in terms of the cultural industry and you know, all mm -hmm. these kinds mm -hmm. of things, what can you do? And that was his, of course, optimistic, let's say. Right. Right. Moment right. that okay, refute you know as our friend Slavo Zizek always talks about with Bartleby the Scrivener, you know. Right. I prefer, I prefer not. not. So, yeah. So that that's you know that was Marcuse's argument also. Right. You know that and, well yeah. you can do is refuse to participate and and I, certainly there's a lot to or participate with a performance principle that is dominant yeah. here. And certainly you know, there's a lot there's a lot to that because that you can say well yeah. are you really resisting when you sign a petition. I think the answer is no. I agree with you. Because you're you're, you're not refusing to put you know participate. No, no. You're still going to work the next day. Right. You're still paying your taxes. You're still doing everything else. Of what consequence is it that you signed the petition? And I've said many times. When do Americans uh, you know demonstrate on the weekends? They take their leisure time yeah. instead yeah. of taking work days to go out uh, to the only. streets. Not only. Yeah. yeah. But voting. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. You know, going to. Uh, City Hall or Washington D.C. Right, to speak right, to your right. representative. Town Hall meetings. Even worse. Town Hall Even meetings. Even worse. Right with other people. Right. Town Hall. Even worse. Right. Exactly. My yeah. friend uh, uh, Asteris Montacos used to say about the uh, educational system. You know, you see all you bring all these kids to the museums and so forth. You know, they come in stupid. They come out dumb. And yeah. maybe we could say the same. Well, thing that's Randy about, Newman too. Go when in yeah. dumb, come out dumb right. too. Actually, That's coming right. out dumber now. Well, yeah. <laughs> Going dumb and come out dumber. And you could say the same thing about, you know, whether it's voting, whether right. it's interest right. group politics right. and all the rest. You right. know what I mean? Yes. If, if anything, it's a mechanism Focus to, groups. to isolate and placate and right. resolve yourself of any kind of guilt you might have about yes. what's going on. absolutely. You know, okay, absolutely. I did my part. I right. went to Albany and I, you know, right. we yelled at Cuomo and, okay, what can you do? But that's not refusing. So on one level, what Mokusa says, of course, is very important, and it's a very high 
yes, standard of, course, of, of course. political activity. And it takes an enormous amount of energy. Enormous amount of energy. The energy of negative thinking and That's negation. Right. And right. this is no longer part of the culture. Even the people that want to do well don't have that kind of power of negative thinking or negation in a way. That kind of you know critique alongside the action or a critique and praxis going together. You know, this is yeah. part of the problem. And we get all this kind of surface action, uh, uh, you know, uh, that play, plays out. So um, about our friend Aronowitz's uh, sl slogan, um, you know, or, or proposition, there is no left, there are only leftists. I mean, I, I think one of the things that tasks before us is to build the educational apparatus if we can. You know, that, that seems to be very, very crucial going forward. Of course, it should be internationalist in scope, you yes. know, even though we're in the belly of the beast here, you know. Well, we're in a very cosmopolitan place. Yeah, we're in cosmopolitan place. Not, yeah, 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 yeah. We're not in some little village in the middle of nowhere. That's true, that's true. Although sometimes there are more reactions in these little villages. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll see. you know, we'll see. We'll see in, in Latin America, et cetera. So that's, that's, that's certainly one idea. And we'll see this playing out, too, in terms of maybe schisms, you know, in, in the DSA and, and uh, other of these uh, so-called left organizations. Which brings me, and maybe we can conclude here and maybe pick this up in our next uh, Prosperity Marxism uh, uh, podcast, um, you know, uh, socialism, which is being thrown around as a word today, you know, really seems to me the way it's thrown around is a kind of pre-New Deal or New Deal ideology. It's not really what we know as socialism as a tradition, which yes. always to me was a transitional form where there would be a seizure of the workplace or the right. means of production, that workers would be in control of their own, you know, yeah. destiny in a sense. So we have all these kind of sub, you know, kind of moments, you know, it's issues. To tell you the truth, I don't yeah. understand why Bernie yeah. Sanders and others want to use the label of democratic I agree with socialism. You. Yeah, because I think it hurts more than anything, socialism. and it's not. It's yeah. not socialism. Right. 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 You know, uh, it's it's New Deal, as you say. Right. You know, it's social democratic, perhaps. Social democratic. But what, given the baggage of the term. Right. You know, so now you see, for example, you, people come out with these reports that you know, 60% uh, or whatever, you know, of uh, people under the age of 30 have a positive view of the socialism. And then you <laughs> right. see it. I saw one, 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 one article, and they were saying it's higher now than it was in 1945. 1945, you know, the approval rate was 35%, and today it's... We had a country so called the are, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics yeah. in 1945. And, as well as, <laughs> but I think the caveat is the the what socialism meant in 1945 right. is radically different, different than, than what people understand today. by the it's term today. today. Yeah, right. and it means health care for all. You know, these are the things. You know, I, mean, I think it climate change facing climate change. It underscores change. how much. To how far to the right things have come. Oh, yes, absolutely. That, the discourse has been, as yes. you said today, the photograph, maybe you should say this, the photograph of what was put up in Congress with the way civility should be run with the Reagan, Reagan and Thatcher photograph. Yes. Shaking hands. Of, and this is the Democrats putting this up there, yes. not not sure. the, yes. the Reaganite wing of the, uh, of the Republican Party. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So very interesting. Reagan in today regard. would appear as a center left. Will be a center yeah, left. and uh, Nixon's a raving leftist, oh. wage and price controls. Yes.
Right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, things have, again, again, right. you know, it's, it's a sign right. of, not of the rise of the left, right. but how far things have eroded in American yes. politics right. that something like a national health care system right. or free universities, which we've had. Right. Which we've had. There's nothing new in the United States that no, universities can be free. No, no, that that today would appear as socialism. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think in the future, I mean, I think we've opened up a lot of a, a kind of new category here, temporality and prosperity Marxism. You know, what what is the time of prosperity Marxism? How do we articulate this in such a way that is different than what's going on in the dominant discourse about socialism, you know, the reformist tendencies, etc. And where do we go from here and how do we bring back principles which is or alive in the tradition but at the same time make them at least contemporary to deal with some of the situations we're facing as we you know emerge more and more or go forward with technocratic capitalism or what our friend you know uh, Chukolasa said on the deal of regulations of uh, morals in terms of this penultimate stage of, of, uh, of neoliberalism yeah so good okay so I think we're going to cut here. Thank our uh, our, uh, our, uh, our website meister, uh, Josh Colo, uh, the minister of uh, information, so to speak. Uh, and uh, we thank Josh for doing the uh, the uh, program. And uh, we'll see you next time with more of this. We're going to be doing some interviews with people. We're going to try to get um, you know some of our uh, we'll try to good get colleagues. We'll maybe try to get Bernie Sanders, or at least sure. maybe at, at, if he's in town, maybe Cornell West. And uh, we'll get some other uh, people of road. I, I'm thinking about maybe uh, Glenn Ford to talk about the crisis in, you know, the uh, uh, Afro-American communities and et cetera as we go forward into another election year and into the into the future. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll uh, we'll sign off here. There is a war between the rich and poor, a war between the man and the woman. There is a war between the ones who say there is a war and the ones who say that there isn't. Why don't you come on back to the war? That's right, get in it. Why don't you come on back to the war? It's just beginning.